Hello, just wanted to give you a quick heads up about today's episode. Gary gets quite passionate at points and there's a fair bit of swearing from his side in this episode. We just wanted to let you know if you've got any little ones around that this might not be a good episode to play in their earshot. Hope you enjoy it all the same. My job was to look at the economy and understand what's happening. And I was a judge to be one of the best people in the world at that. Inequality is rising extremely quickly here in this country. If we do not prevent that, from rising, we will see the kind of living standards here that are common in places like Nigeria and places like Brazil. Gary Stevenson is a former city trader who made millions from betting on growing inequality in the debt crisis. With his YouTube channel, Gary's Economics, he now campaigns to end the very thing he made money from. And he's written a book called The Trading Game about his experiences in finance. Understanding the economic system we're in is important. In many ways, it defines how much money you can make. And Gary spends a lot of time thinking about where our economy is heading. That's why we've got him on today. The middle class, ordinary property owners and the government are ban getting bankrupted. And where is that wealth going? Who is that debt to? The super rich. I want people who work and who study and who do good work and to, to be able to live good lives. And we are not providing that. So today we're joined by Gary Stevenson, former city trader, inequality economist, and author of The Trading Game. Honestly, this is, so my audience tell me who they want me to sit down with. This is the most requested conversation. Okay. Uh, no pressure. <laughs> no worries. People, I think people just, I think your message, which we'll get into, has kind of really resonated with people in recent times because there's not many people like yourself that have done the things that you have done, that have come out and maybe vocalized what people feel. And I think that's why the YouTube channel grew so quickly and why so many people have wanted this conversation to have. Not everyone's going to know you. So I want to start with your background because I think that's really important context for kind of why you are the way you are now. Yeah. So in the book, you, you talk about your childhood and the importance of money and how things weren't necessarily easy. Can we just start there? Yeah. So I come from a place called Ilford, which is in East London. Um, I grew up in a pretty poor family next to the railway, you know, five people in a small little house. Um, and it was funny, you know, the story I tell in the book is I remember, I don't know how old I was, but it's like one of my earliest memories. I remember my parents sending me to the Esso garage with like a pound to buy lemonade, one of those big like two litre lemonade bottles. And at some point I dropped that pound. And um, I remember just like, panic and like looking under every car, looking, putting my hands down the drains. And it felt like I was looking for that pound for like an hour, going home in like floods, tears. And um, I think I was talking to my literary agent the other day about my paper round that I used to do and how I used to work 364 days a year, every day except Christmas for 13 pounds a week. And then he cut it down to 12 pounds a week. And um, I think that was, I was just super aware as a kid that not just that I didn't have any money, but that my family didn't have any money, that my parents didn't have any money, that money was a constant problem for them, for their lives. And I, I never wanted to ask for anything from them. I wanted to, I wanted to make money myself. And yeah, obviously you read the book, I, I did make money myself, but I think, you know, and we can talk more about this later if you like, but I think there's a degree to which it became basically an obsession, maybe an unhealthy obsession. We're very similar. We like, I think we share a lot of similarities. The difference is you became hyper successful and I met <laughs> well, this guy. But no, but yeah, I do okay. But what, what I mean is I relate to that, like 
my mom provided everything, but I was aware that more money would have fixed certain problems in the life. And that, that led to like my lifelong obsession with money, you know, in, in mm. a similar way. We, we did similar things at uni as well. And we'll, we'll get to that. But you grew up in the shadow of the city, didn't you? And yeah. that, that kind of influenced you from an early age. Yeah, well, they went up. Um, you can see, you can see the, the skyscrapers of Canary Wharf from Milford. It's not like right next to it, but you can see them. And they went up. I think the first one, the big sort of pyramid one went up when I was maybe eight or nine. And I remember giving like a little talk in school about it. And people saying, oh, you can go out on the roof and you can walk around, which I don't think you can do nowadays. But um, we saw them go up on the horizon as a kid, you know what I mean? Um, and I think I was very, very good at maths at school. Yeah. So I think like you see them go up and you just think like, well, that's... You know it's banks and you know you don't know what a bank is but you know banks is <laughs> you know mass. there's some money over banks there is mass, and yeah. you're just like yeah that's where i'm gonna go i'm gonna go i'm gonna work in one of them towers you feel like it's you feel like it's ours and i feel like you know i don't know where you guys are from but like you see them skyscrapers go up in the city that you are you're born in and you kind of feel like they're ours but it's funny because the truth is most kids that grow up in east london will never get a chance to work in those skyscrapers yeah. Um, how, how old were you when you dropped the pound and like when you started having this obsession with money? Because, you know, they say that yeah. in the first seven years, that's when you kind of, it affects your attitude and your perspective towards money. Do you remember how old you were when? I mean, that is such an old memory now. It's like a memory of a memory. I would guess I was something like seven or eight, but like, so I don't know what the legal age I'd have to start working their paper on this. I think it might be 13. It might be 12. When we were 13. kids, you, you could be young with the paper. I remember people getting paid 50p a day for paper yeah. rounds, big like paper rounds. Well, that, I mean, that's not much less than what I used to do yeah. basically. But um, I remember like, let's say it was 13. I think it was 13. I remember like counting down, like when I'm 13, I'm going to get a paper round. And it's like 13 pounds a week. It's like, it's nothing. But for me, it was everything. And I would save it up. I would save those 13 pounds up, you know, 10 weeks to buy a pair of TNs. You know what I mean? It's sort of, and it's weird in a way because now as, as an adult, I'm not really a particularly materialistic person. And, um, but as a kid, I was obsessed with money, almost in, in an abstract concept. You talk about if we had money, we could have this, we could have that. I never really had an idea if I had money, we could have this, we could have that. It was kind of like we would be released from this sense yeah. of insecurity, really. If we fast forward a bit, you ended up at the London School of Economics, didn't you? Which you call like a boot camp for, for banking or for, yeah. for, for getting into finance. And I like your story because throughout it, there's examples of inequality, unfair advantage that ultimately become your kind of like life's work. So one thing that resonated with me, I went to Durham, okay. you know, yeah. yeah so yeah, similar, yeah. I did like finance yeah. at Durham. I, I went to Durham as someone from inner city Birmingham, where I was the only member of my family to ever go to university. I got there and I thought, I'll just go, I'll become, I'll get a job at Goldman. Yeah. And then within like six months, I realized, oh my God, there's all this other work that I should have done. Before. I should have already had an internship. Yeah. Basically by the day I walked in, I was never getting that job because all yeah. my peers had already done internships the year before. They had summer grads and it was like this yeah. other language. And you say the exact same thing about the LSC guys were speaking a language. I just thought if I do math, I'll get the job. It's what you're told, isn't it? It's what yeah. you're told as a kid, you know, like, uh you know, I was very, very good at maths at school. I was, I was a bright kid. I was good at most subjects, to be honest. And the teachers just like, you know, work hard, work hard, study hard, and you're going to make it. And you, you believe that that's the, that's the story we're told. And then I got to LSE and um, first year was like, just quite chill. I studied maths and economics. I do mm. my maths, I do my economics. Hard degree that. 
Uh, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm good at math. So for yeah, me, it wasn't actually yeah. that hard, to be honest. Like, I was just, that is, it's got a reputation at LSE yeah. for being a hard degree. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just banging through it first year. Like, I did pretty well. And then I come in second year. And then suddenly, like, everybody started wearing suits. Start wearing suits. The people start wearing suits. And then everybody's talking about CDSs and MBA and CDO and sales and trading. And you know what I mean? All this, all the, it's all these three letter acronyms. You don't know what they mean. And you're like, what is going on? And then... I asked one of my mates and he was like, yeah, second year's internship year. And I was like, yeah, the fuck this is, is internship exactly. year? <laughs> he's like, you've got a, he's like, how many internships have you applied? I'm like, you know, what is an internship? He's like, he couldn't, couldn't believe it. You know what I mean? And he's like, you know, you need to apply for 30 internships. And I was like, I could have probably even named you 30 banks even now, to be honest, you know, you need to apply for 30 internships and like CV cover letter, CV cover letter. And then that's when I realized this thing, right? All these guys, had been being prepped by their That's the families yeah. from like four years. Yeah. All these guys yeah. had like trekked through the Sahara Desert for the Junior United. And they'd all like played the fucking oboe at the Royal Albert Hall yeah. while I was fluffing pillows at DFS for 40 pound a day. Yeah. You know, and I was like, I, I thought you study hard, you work hard, you get the grades, you get the job. And then I realized already by that point, I'd kind of already lost. Like there was basically no chance because we were all gonna, you know, I can get a first, but you know, 20% of the cohort's gonna get a yeah. first. And they've all got this, this backstory. And only 5% are getting the top job. Yeah, you know, like, and you know, of yeah. course, you know, that's not even talking about people who know people, yeah. people whose yeah. dad works for Goldman Sachs. You know what I mean? Which when you go to LSE, and I'm sure it's same at Durham, there's a lot of them going around. I didn't even realize that, you know, this is gonna sound super naive for someone who's a finance professional. I didn't even realize that investment banking was the kind of job that I could get. Cause I didn't grow, I grew up in Birmingham. There's no skyscrapers there. There's the mm. bull ring. So the, that to me wasn't like, if I go Durham, I could end up at Goldman. I didn't, I didn't even realize that that yeah. was a thing until year two. And by then you'd missed it. Mm. This is why with your story, there's like this poetic irony of you actually got into that world through an unfair advantage because you mm. played this trading game and you, yeah. you knew the rules before other people. And I thought there's like some beautifulness in Yeah, it's in such that. a mad story. So like, I was just like, fuck this. Like there's, it's, I can't win this game. Mm. There's no way. Like how is my CV cover letter gonna stand out from all these guys who've done all this mad shit that they've been prepped for yeah. from young. You know, I, when I was a teenager, I did a paper round. I was working for DFS, which is a sofa shop for those who don't know. <laughs> and I was trying to become a grime MC. That's what I was doing. You know what I mean? Like, nice. That's not going to work on the CV cover. So I was like, fuck it. But I knew when it comes to maths and economics, because I was, I knew that I was the guy for that. I could, I could match anyone. So I was like, I'm just going to just, just be as aggressive in the lectures I can to be like, look, this guy knows something. And I was sitting in the library one day doing my homework, LSE libraries, this big open modern library. Some guy come up to me, I've never even seen him before. This like lanky guy from Grimsby. And he said to me, are you Gary Stevenson? I was like, yeah. He was like, listen, Citibank hire one trader a year through a card game, which is basically a maths game. And like, I heard you're pretty good at maths. So like, you should enter this why game. Why do you think he did that for you? Well, I, I know, I can tell you why. Because, you know, through this, I got the internship at City and Citibank pay some of the interns that they offer the job to find oh, yeah. like good sources grads. Oh, not a and they did it to me that, the yeah. next year. So this guy had been paid by Citibank, like find us some good kids at LSE. So um, he come in and he, he, he told me the rules of this game. And I was, then he just walked off this guy. And I was like, this is the kind of thing that happens at LSE. Yeah, and but I, I was just like, and I knew straight away, well, I didn't know for certain, but I had this feeling I'm gonna win that game because 
I'd been so frustrated by the unfairness of the recruitment process, which had basically, I knew I was smarter than those guys at LSE. You know, I killed those exams. You know, second year, I come like first in the uni, like every exam basically. Right? I knew I was, but then you're blocked out basically because of where you come from. They call it yeah. polish. Yeah. They, you're not polished, which means you, you're from a poor background or you're, yeah. not, you're not a white male that's like yeah, privately school educated. It's, it's, it's yeah. a block, it's not yeah. fair. And then suddenly this guy's come in and he's like, okay, it's a game, it's a game, you know? And like, you know, you could be fucking Prince William. You go into that game, card game, you know what I mean? You know, if we're gonna play each other at fucking Age of Empires, it don't matter who your dad is, you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I used to love games, I, I still do, you know, I can't play them that much nowadays, but like, I loved games as a kid and I was like banging, maths, game, this is it. And I couldn't believe this other door had, a, and, and what's interesting about that is, my whole life, I've been kind of looking for these things. Because like when I was a kid, obviously I've written a book now, you know, and I think the book is pretty good. I think I'm a good writer. I was good at writing when I was a kid. You're good but I was like, her. fuck English, we're doing maths. Because maths, you can't tell me it's bad. The answer's right. I'll put every single answer on that, is, every single answer on that exam is right. I mean, and then trading is the same. You know, I've been in the media now making the right fucking predictions for three years. Most people don't fucking notice. On the trading floor, I was the fucking man. Because everybody knows, it doesn't matter Money where you're talks. from. Yeah. yeah, so like, I like these spaces. Listen, we live in a very unfair society, but every now and again, these little spaces pop up. So I won that competition. You had an unfair advantage. Yeah, and I was like, it. you know yeah. what? I, I know it wasn't fair. I knew the rules, they didn't know the rules. But the fact is, those guys in that room, those guys study LSE, they know a lot of fucking rules I'll never know. So you know what? Fuck it, I'll take the games that I get. I'll take the, you know, you get given a good hand, you play it. And you know, most people get, you know, I got there with a lot of band hands and I, I took the one that I got, you know, what else can you do? No, and I think like, I just thought it was a nice moment that you yeah. got that, you, you you took it. And then that leads you into into the role and you basically become one of the, the top traders, don't you? Or the top mm. trader for a two year period. And yeah. you describe how you made more money in those few years, enough to set you up for life, basically. Can you can you describe what that, that means? Like top trader, uh, lots of money. I mean, as you say, like, it's enough money that I don't have to, and I haven't worked since I haven't worked. So I was Citibank stock trader in 2011. I started working full-time 2008. So June, 2008, just before the crisis. Um, and I watched like, it's a mad place to trade. It's an absolutely insane place. And um, because it's such a hard job to get, I assumed it'd be full of like really smart people. And um, there are some smart people on the trading floor, but the truth is, from my experience, and you know, if you read the book, you'll see this. Most of the people that I worked with on the trading floor, number one, were not particularly smart, but number two, were just completely insane. Just mm. absolute yeah. maniacs. I, I worked with some, yeah. yeah, just insane, it's insane. It's hilarious in a way, but you know, like there's one story in the book about a guy who, he took me out drinking. He's, he was much older than me, you know. Um, took me out drinking and I, I drank so much that I threw up at work the next day. And the boss sort of said to him, Gary said that was your fault. I came in early the next day and boss said to him, Gary said it was your fault. And this guy, he just sits there and I hear him like side of my, I hear him growling, just, just, and then I think, what the fuck? And I just try and ignore it. And then he starts growling like louder and louder. And I just like ignore it, ignore it. And then I hear just like bang. And he's kicked, there's these doors down the bottom that are like block off the computers. He's kicked it, bam, and he slammed his fist down on the desk. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then he started like, like gnashing his teeth at me, like a fucking- Growling at you. Yeah, like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> like a Doberman. <laughs> like that. And I was just like, 
I could, I could, but that's just one of you know a million stories I could tell you. I couldn't believe these insane. And they're getting paid a million pound a year. Mm. You know what I mean? I didn't know that first. You know what I mean? But um, you go into this space, and I mean LSE was like this to a lesser degree. You think that these elite spaces are full of like fucking smart people, but like from my experience, they're just full of completely insane people. And I was like, that was mad, but it was also like. Fuck me, I can have this. Like, if this is the fucking competition. Present company not included, I feel social media is a bit like that on YouTube because mm. I think there's a lot of you, you, there's a lot of arrogance around people that put themselves forward. Yeah. I thought that I would come into the finance space and I would I'd be surrounded by highly capable, really intelligent people. Actually, there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of people chatting a lot of rubbish. Yeah, yeah. You said That's the same about I, news and media. I always I don't want to like push my YouTube all the time. Mm. Predictions, predictions, mm. predictions, predictions. Listen, I was the best trader in the fucking world one of the biggest banks in the world because I make predictions that are fucking right. And I could walk out of here right now and walk into a skyscraper in Canary Wharf and they pay me two million pound a year because I'm fucking right when I make my predictions. So I make predict because I know there's a lot of bullshitters out there, but it's not easy to make predictions that are right. So I'm you, dropping them all the time. You talk about, um, like we'll come back to your story in a second, but while we're on this topic, you talk about economists and the incentives that exist and these points around predictions mm -hmm. and your video was around why your economists are bad, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know, you spoke about how the best talent basically is hidden away, making millions. Yeah, so for me, there's a two part problem that we have in the way we build economics in our society. Number one is if you're really, really good, you can get paid a fucking ton of money to work for a bank, mm -hmm. like literally 2 million pound a year, if you're really good. And you know, I was getting paid that when I was like 24. You know, I, mean, I could, you could get paid, I probably be, could be getting paid way more now if I stayed in it, right? Um, so that's number one. So there's this massive like magnet pulling anyone who is good out of, you know, where society kind of needs them, like government, academia, you know, media, civil service, where your society needs the good economists. And number two, when you are in places like academia or like media, there's no real good way, if you are good, to, to really clearly demonstrate that. So, you know, I was, I went to work for Citibank nobody from nowhere you know what I mean little kid from Ilford basically within two three years he's the fucking guy he is the fucking guy he manages the money he makes the decisions he's the fucking guy everybody knows your name because you come out and you say bam everyone's wrong this is the prediction everybody sees after you you're the guy who was right and you do that again and again and again and you're the fucking guy I went to Oxford to do a master's when did I start six years ago I walked in there you know one of the most successful interest rate traders in the world and I said to the professors who are lecturing on interest rates, can we talk about why, you know, your predictions have been wrong for 10 years in a row? A guy said to me, what do you mean? You always knew interest rates would stay zero. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. This guy, you know, after the financial crisis, everybody predicted zero would stay, it, it would, would not be permanent every single year. And he didn't even know it happened. These guys are so bad. They don't even know that they're bad. Yeah. And I can walk in and say, okay, well, I've been right for 10 years in a row. So can I get the fucking mic now? They don't give a shit. I think you said in your Guardian interview that the best advice you got was to throw away your economics textbook, textbooks. Yeah. How, can you explain that a little bit? Like, why, why would you say yeah, that? So this is like a big moment in my life. And I think it's like described really nice in the book. But so basically 
I started working full-time 2008, mid-2008. 2009, I had like a massive year. Like my area that I worked in became super profitable. As the world was collapsing, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. what we did is make short-term collateralized loans. Mm. And you know, it's, it's described in detail in the book, but basically everybody needed money, like short-term loans. And we were the guys who had it, especially dollars. And we were an American bank. So we started making a ton of money and I was just like, fucking, I'm getting in here. And like, so I made quite a lot of money in my first year, which is like pretty unprecedented, but there was so much shit going on, nobody really noticed. So 2009, I had like a, a pretty good year for a first year trader. And I was, I made much more money than I had expected to make. And I was like, okay, we can make a lot of money here. 2010, I was like, I'm gonna go for it, I'm gonna hit it. And I started doing these big bets on Swiss interest rates. And this crazy thing happened with the Swiss National Bank, briefly cut interest rates to negative four and a half percent effectively. And I got fucking steamrolled and I lost, I lost $8 million in a week for the bank. And, um, you know, I dropping that quid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where is it? I remember, I remember at one point during that, my flatmate invited some of my mates around to like, you know, play Pro Evo and eat pizza. And they were just like, oh, you know, what team are you going to play as blah, blah, blah. And I'm just thinking, oh, I've just fucking lost $6 million. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of shocking. But then after that, like my instinct, you know, I studied maths and economics, you know, I was like, you know, go back to the books, fucking study. And I was, I started to bring my books into the office. And I was reading my books on a desk and I, I was very, very lucky at Citibank. There was one guy I worked with, come from Liverpool, never went to university, started working as a cashier at Halifax. And over the course of like 30 years, built his way up to being like one of the top traders at Citibank. And he, he was, you know, in a sense from a similar background to me, right? Working class guy, although he didn't go to university. He saw me reading those books like one day and he was two days. The third day he just come up to me, smashed the books out of my hand. And he was like, listen, mate, where do you fucking think you are? Is it like a fucking library? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not fucking Jack and Orion. Listen, you're not a fucking kid anymore, right? You're not going to find the answers to what's happening in those fucking books. If you want to know about the economy, go home and ask your fucking mum what her financial situation is like. You know what I mean? Look at the adverts on the fucking tube. Walk down the fucking high street. Ask your friends, ask your friends' parents what is going on in their, in their financial lives. You need to understand people and their financial lives in order to understand the economy. And that... I describe it in the book as the most important thing I ever heard really, because I think, you know, what I achieved later in my career and, you know, I think the understanding that I have now is basically entirely from this understanding that the truth is economists nowadays, the vast majority of them, the ones who study university, are hugely detached from the real world. And they're obsessed with these very complicated mathematical ideas, which are not always useless. But if you're not, if you're not talking to people, you know, they all come from fucking rich backgrounds. They don't know anybody in the ordinary world, you know what I mean? The only, the only people they know on ordinary incomes, they're fucking cleaners, you know what I mean? Mm. So how are these guys gonna understand it? And I realized this is it, this is my fucking in because I'm the only guy in this fucking trading floor who knows that side and knows this side. I know I can fucking go, I fucking, these guys live on my fucking street, you know what I mean? I can find out what people's ordinary financial situations are like and nobody else here knows it. And I think since then really, Ever since then, all I've been doing is finding them gaps between what the theorists think and what's really happening. Because in those gaps as a trader, that's where you make the money. You make money in understanding what it is that people don't understand because that's when the prices are wrong. Yeah. That is when the prices are wrong. So you, so that, that bet to you was you 
you summarize it as I bet that inequality would continue to get worse. What you were doing, you were betting on interest rates, right? So can you just flesh that out for people in a, in a way that they could understand? Yeah, so my big thing, what I realized is like, after the financial crisis, and the same in COVID actually, like the, the systemic response, government, central bank was slash interest rates, do QE, essentially pretty for the listeners who might not know, QE is quantitative easing. <laughs> yeah, 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 quantitative nice. easing. Yeah, Come nice. on, this guy's learning. Good lad. Yeah, basically, print a ton of money and lend it out. And the idea is, you can borrow money cheaply. We're going to borrow a load of money. We're going to go on holiday. Businesses are going to invest. We're not going to save because we can't get no fucking interest on it. That's the idea, and it's supposed to boost the economy. You study finance, you know yeah. this, right? This is the idea. And then, like, I went and I asked my fucking mates, you know, you know, what's why don't you spend more money? You know what I mean? Which is essentially the question after 2008, why, you know, why didn't people spend more money? And you, you can fucking imagine what people, people will laugh at you. They're like, you know, I don't spend no money because I don't have any fucking money. And you, you, you know, you dig into the details and you're like, well, my mum, you know, sold her house and she's renting now, you know, and I'm sleeping on the sofa trying to save up money, you know what I mean? To buy a house, but the prices are going up. Or somebody's house is like, well, you know, my mum's mortgage expired, but, you know, she's not able to work now. So the rate's gone up to fucking 6%. You know, I can't do anything. I spoke to my flatmate. My flatmate showed me his shoes. There were fucking holes in his shoes. And he said to me, why do you think I don't spend more fucking money? And it was like, I realized like, it's not, it's not fucking what, it's not getting to the people that need it, right? You know, these, these are the guys who would fucking spend it if they got it and they're not fucking getting it. And who's fucking getting it? Well, I didn't have to fucking look very far, right? I'm working on a team of fucking 10 millionaires. These guys are stacking cash. And what do they do with it? They're buying fucking houses. Yeah. Whose fucking house are they buying? My mate's fucking mum's fucking house. Mm. Renting it to my mate's fucking mum's kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, the, the money only goes to the rich. Then all it does is push house prices up. It does nothing to boost the economy. And then, and, but then you could, there's a cyclical nature to it, right? Because if the money goes to the rich and the rich use that money to buy the houses from the middle class, well, then the middle class don't have their fucking houses and they have to pay more rent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which means they get poorer, which means they pay more rent to the rich, which means the rich can buy even more people's fucking houses. And you start to see this is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. That's the fucking trade. Do you think this is only in the UK or it's around? I mean, obviously you're specialised yeah. in the UK, but is it around it's the world? Or? Absolutely global. And in yeah. fact, the, the big bet I was doing was on the US. You know, I was, I did bet on the UK quite a lot, but I, I bet more on the US because we had a, like a legendary sterling trader. I was letting him do the UK stuff. I was like, I was betting on the US. I bet on the UK as well. It's absolutely fucking global. And this is a thing which frustrates me quite a lot. Listen, I know there's a lot of problems in the UK. I fucking know. This is where, I've, this is where I was born. This is where I raised, you know, I see it. You, you all know it. There's a lot of problems here. I speak to people all over the world and they say to me, like, the problem is specific to where I'm from. Mm. Everybody thinks, and it, it's, you know, as somebody who wants to stop this problem, it worries me. It's worse in some places than others, but this is, this is a systemic problem. I ask because in Nigeria, it's definitely been going on for like a long, like my family's Nigerian. Yeah. It's been going on for a long time. And um, I imagine it's been going on in America as well. So I'm like, it's probably around the world problem. Yeah, it's yeah. massively global. It's massively global. And I mean, you know, if you're from Nigeria and you've got exposure to what things are like in Nigeria, then, you know, you will know the reality of what very, very unequal economies look like. Yeah. You, you know have what I mean? Like, you have my, some of my friends in Nigeria, they're getting like 
uh, G-Wagon, gold G-Wagons for their birthday when they like turned 18, 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there were like servants who were like, they can't feed their kids. So they have to live in like a house in the big, yeah. like the big house. And then they've got a little servant's house and like Mate, they're yeah. struggling and you've got to help them get their kids to school. And yeah. Mate, the rich people in poor countries are fucking rich. But, and that is because poor countries are in almost every case, massively unequal countries. Yeah. yeah. But the, the, I think that the hardest thing about the UK, so as an example with you talking to, family and friends and and seeing the reality on the ground. I had a similar kind of awakening where it was, I'd gone to uni, I'd, I'd understood the markets, I saw the crash and I started to invest. And then say fast forward five, 10 years later, everyone is going, the biggest bull run in history, more wealth generated over since the financial crisis to now from the stock market. I go to my mom and she's like, I don't trust stocks. Mm -hmm. I'm not involved in that. Yeah. And the, the narrative is that everyone's got rich and actually, no one's participated in that bull run. And it's yeah. like, where's all that money gone? And I remember thinking then, the, the message I'm being told by the media is like, everyone's having a great time. Whereas mm. actually wages have stayed stagnant over that period. So mm. my mom's real income has gone backwards. She's not participated in the biggest mm. wealth generation event. She's yeah. missed out. It. She actually doesn't trust it. There's this frustrating, like equivalizing in mm. the media, like stock markets are up. Everyone's better off. Yeah, yeah. like, you know, on the ground, a huge it's number of people ain't got no fucking stocks. People can't pay their heating yeah. bills. They're not going to be buying stocks. So yeah. It's a similar thing with house prices, right? And of course, like house ownership is more broad, but you know, if you're 25 years old, you don't have a house. Your parents don't have a house. House prices go up. It's fucking, your stomach is sinking there. You know what I mean? Like these, this big, and you know, one of the biggest financial changes in the financial environment in the last 20 years is this massive increase in all asset prices. And really all that does is it cements the inequality between people who own wealth, who own assets, and people who don't? But is that their fault? Like the, the, the might fault be... of the wealth holders? Yeah. No, no, hundred percent. I don't point. I don't point fingers at, at individual wealth holders. I don't point fingers at individual householders. You know, what I, mean? I, I am a wealthy person. You know, mm. what I mean, if I were to say this is the fault of all wealth, wealthy people, you know, what am I going to go do? Jump off a cliff? Listen, this is our fault as a society. We need to fix this as a society. I don't think we get anywhere. By pointing fingers, you know, you know, I can point the finger at Rishi Sunak as much as I want to sell. It's your fault. It's Boris Johnson. That, that don't get us nowhere. That don't get us nowhere. The truth of the matter is, increasingly, all the ordinary families in this country can't fucking heat their fucking homes in the winter. And that's, you know, I reckon there's 50% of this country now that are worried about food and heat. And that number's increasing, okay? It's not the time to be deciding who the villain is. You know what I mean? You know, if, if your car's driving off the cliff, you don't turn around and start calling each other a dickhead. You fucking turn that wheel. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do. We were so But yeah, you know, I, I do what I do because I, because I want to fix it, you know. And, How you know. can we fix it then? Can we get into this? Like, You need to, so I get people on my channel sometimes say, oh, this guy's a communist because he wants to redistribute, okay? I am not the one trying to redistribute. The redistribution is fucking happening, okay? The middle class, ordinary property owners and the government are fucking ba getting bankrupted. And where is that wealth going? Who is that debt to? The super rich. It's happening. It's happening. COVID saw the biggest and fastest ever increase in wealth of millionaires and billionaires in the history of this country. Just get your head around that. So during the period of time when living standards have had their fastest fall since the Second World War, simultaneously we've had the biggest and fastest ever increasing wealth of millionaires and billionaires. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense, right? Because if you pause the economy, and in that two, three years where you've paused the economy, you massively increase inequality, 
What do you fucking expect is going to happen when you're on pause? Of course, you know, inequality is way higher now and the reality of the economy has to shift. If inequality is higher, the rich get more, you get less. The redistribution is happening. It is happening. And that means, that means you don't have a house. That means you have to pay more rent. You know what I mean? That means you have higher debt, which means you have to pay more interest, which means it's even harder to catch up. So the redistribution is happening in front of our eyes. I'm saying, stop it. I'm saying, stop it. We have to... You know, I don't say tax the rich because I hate rich people. I fucking am a fucking rich person. I say tax the rich because if we don't tax the rich, then they will take all of the wealth of the middle class and the government. The government will be bankrupted, no fucking NHS, no fucking free schooling, and the middle class will be bankrupted. And I think, you know, you've got links to Nigeria, right? You know yeah. what's going on there, right? Yeah. I think a lot of people in this country naively assume that the kind of living standards that are seen in a place like Nigeria cannot happen here. Ah. Uh. Go and read fucking Charles Dickens. You know what I mean? Go read fucking Oliver Twist. It fucking happened. It fucking happened and it can happen again. Listen, hugely unequal countries have extremely low living standards. Inequality is rising extremely quickly here in this country. If we do not prevent that from rising, we will see the kind of living standards here that are common in places like Nigeria and places like Brazil. To counter that, I'm only playing devil's advocate. Yeah. I got you on the podcast because I like your message. So yeah, no, I don't want to get another comment from like this guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, many, many economists or much data would say as a wider global trend, have living standards improved over the last 20, 30 years? And I think there's, they probably have, apart from over the last 24 months where they've collapsed again. Well, listen, right? I, I don't want to shit on boomers, right? My dad worked for the post office 35 years, okay? No university degree. My mum was largely a stay-at-home mum. She did a bit of childminding, you know what I mean? They're not educated people, you know. Cool. I love my parents. They don't have no special talents, right? On that, they managed to raise three kids. They own their own property now. They live in comfortable retirement, you know. They moved down to Sussex. Is that possible now for two people? No. One, mother, no. mother staying at home. There's actually a lot of people that are better off in retirement than they were when they were working. So, like, yeah. I think, don't get me wrong. I think the big picture true situation is most of history, most of the world, living standards for most people are shit. We had a period of time, largely in the West, it wasn't international, Europe, North America, someplace like Japan, Australia, 50s, 60s, particularly 70s, 80s, 90s, early noughties, where ordinary people were living decent lives, decent homes, decent car, take a holiday here and there. I'm not saying it was luxury. I think the truth is the last... 20 years, especially the last 15 years, has been a story of us slowly and increasingly quickly losing that. So do you think we're at the top of the hill? We've, we've got I all the games. I think we were at the top of the hill probably 20 years ago, if I'm yeah. being honest. I okay. think that living standards have, of course, some things have improved. We have the internet, we've got Wikipedia. I fucking love Wikipedia, you know what I mean? But you know, I think most young people you speak to would rather have a fucking house. There's two places you can live in the world now. A place where you can't afford a house and a place where you can't get a decent job. So well, you, could mean, go, like, you, could, you could go to Newcastle and houses are cheap, but the, the work employment yeah, the salary is low, it's not so, there. You know, like, it's it, hard, it all you know. matches, it's all relative. I talk about life at the 50th percentile. You're like bog standard person in the middle, exactly average life. The truth is that life in the UK 20 years ago, I'm not saying it was luxury, but there was comfort there and there was a level of security there. Um, honestly, now at the 50th percentile now, there's struggle. 100%. I, I, I earn good money with my partner and I still felt the bill, the energy bill going up to 400 quid. And we're, yeah. and we're earning about an amount of money that is like well above average. And I'm thinking if the average is in the median, the mean, the whatever average you want to take, 
put me on that income and plonk me in my life, I wouldn't, I couldn't live. I yeah. couldn't, there would no, have to be hard, a serious man. downgrade in the quality it's hard, of life. It's hard. Yeah. We all watch The Simpsons. Well, I don't know if you <laughs> <laughs> well, might be a bit too serious I'm for I'm The Simpsons. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with Homer. <laughs> um, there was like a meme and it said like The Simpsons in 19, yeah, like 1970, like mm. he was just like a minimum wage guy working in a power plant and he's got like a two, three bedroom house and his mm. wife was just a stay at home mom. That, that dream is not possible in America like today. And I, th- I don't think many ordinary people will disagree with you there, you know? I think some old older people, they get some messages in the media like things are getting better. Yeah. But I think you talk to anybody under 40, but I don't think they really believe things have, things have been getting better. No. Can you guess what the biggest learning has been from doing this podcast or even my YouTube channel? It's that the most important investment you can make is in you. So for me, my path to real wealth isn't through investing, it's by building this business. And that's why I'm happy that we're working with Hostinger. Hostinger help entrepreneurs, freelancers, and side hustlers with their websites. My favorite thing is their AI website builder, which helps anyone create a professional website with zero coding experience. You just describe your goal in a couple of sentences and the AI creates a beautiful looking website, just like magic. You can then customize it, use the AI assistant to generate SEO friendly text and even use their AI logo maker. It's fast, user friendly. And of course, what I like the best is it's great value for money. You can get website hosting in a free domain from £2.99 a month. So if you want a website, then check out Hostinger. And if you use the code making money, that's making money all one word, you'll get 10% off. And I've left a link in the description for you. Before I became a creator, I was a sales guy. I mean, I love selling. It's how I rebuilt my life after some wrong turns in my 20s. I also delivered Chinese takeaways on the side, but that was more fun money so I could go out on a night without feeling guilty. Sales was where the real money was at. And one tool that I found really useful was LinkedIn Sales Navigator. It's a sales intelligence platform that helps you identify and then get into conversations with high value customers so you can drive more revenue. You can use it to look for key signals like recent job changes, so you can find buyers who are most likely to convert. And because they've got a billion people on the platform, I mean, the chances are your targets are going to be on LinkedIn. Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data so you can get into conversations with the people that matter. So if you want to give Sales Navigator a try, you can get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash upsell. That's linkedin.com slash U-P-S-E-L-L for a 60-day free trial. So let's talk about taxing the rich then. So there's this thing I read, the Wealth Inequality Report, and they proposed... a a wealth tax. And they basically said, if we tax anyone with more than half a million quid um, and we tax them a rate of 5% and we take 1% a year, we'd raise mm-hmm. 250 billion. Yeah. Problem solved. Right. Well, a lot of problems solved anyway. The problem of that is the majority of that wealth is in homes and yeah. pensions. And it's like what you're saying. It's like the boomers, right? The boomers have stepped onto the economy at the right time and yeah. through no fault of their own, they rode a lot of positive headwinds, right? Yeah. But how can you, you how can you then say to those people they're wealthy? Because most of them will say, I'm not. It's my pension, it's my home, I can't access that, you know. Yeah, you know, I don't normally campaign for things like wealth taxes above things like what was the number that you mentioned? Well they half said a half million. a million. They yeah. said eighty billion if it was above two million a person. So is that the kind of level you're thinking or the reason I don't push for things like that is not just because they're unpopular, but as somebody who's looked into these things a lot, what I see often happen is governments bring in taxes at certain times that they think will be popular. 
And then behind the scenes, they sneak in these exemptions that apply to the very rich. And the, the best example I have is, um, maybe it was about 10 years ago, here, here in the UK, they brought in this second home additional stamp duty, which you're probably aware of. Mm. And there is an exemption in that law for people who buy seven or more properties at once. And do you know who immediately went and bought seven properties? Jeremy Hunt, our current chancellor. So the reason why I don't push for things like wealth taxes on, on levels like half a million is because a lot of people in this country have half a million pounds in wealth nowadays because yeah. of the value of property. Um, you don't need to be super rich to be, have half a million pounds. Of, of course, there are many who don't have that. The people who are increasingly taking all of the wealth of society are not those guys on half a million, it's the very rich. And those guys have good accounts, they have good lawyers, they have good connections. They can pressure politicians, and in many cases they are politicians. Rishi Sunak is worth over 700 million pounds. His father is one of the richest men in the world. They can put in loopholes to exempt themselves, all right? Where's the wealth going? Where is the wealth that was held by the middle class and the government going? To the very rich. They are the threat. The people who are coming and taking your home are the threat. So we need to stop them accumulating wealth. So I, I talk about a level, levels above 10 million because I think that is, you know, if you have more than 10 million pounds, you are very, yeah. very rich. And, and of course, there's a, there's a massive difference between someone who has 10 million and someone who has like Rishi 700 million. But the truth is, if you have 10 million pounds, you are undisputedly very, very rich. Um, it's the very rich that are the risk to middle-class living standards. The most important thing for me is that you get, that you, that you neutralize the threat. You know, the fish rots from the head down. It is the very rich that are taking our stuff. We need to stop it. And how do you do that then? Have you got like any practical ways or how would you do it if you were the prime it's, minister? When I hear that question, I always immediately in my head split into two parts, which is one, technically, how do you stop the very rich from taking all the assets? Yeah. And number two, politically, how do you get support for it? Mm -hmm. Because the truth is, at the moment, I campaign for wealth taxes above 10 million, right? We're not gonna get that. And what, what I'm campaigning for is a wealth tax of 1% above 10 million, right? Now you will know, wealthy people frequently get three, four, 5% a year on their assets, mm -hmm. maybe more, right? So if I was to tax them 1%, it wouldn't even stop them from growing their wealth. So it wouldn't even fix the problem. It would only slow the problem down. We're not getting it because there's no political support for it. The Labour Party is not in any way supporting taxation on wealth because they think it's not popular. You know, and I talk to Labour Party politicians and I say, why are you not doing this? They say, because it's not popular. So really, until we can get popular support for this, the, te the technical question doesn't even come up. But who do you define popular with who though? Because I'm sure like the average person It's funny because wouldn't go mind. on YouTube and you can see that tax the rich is, eat the rich, all of this. Yeah. I mean, there's people making millions out of So obviously the powerful people, it's not popular with yeah. the super the, rich, powerful people, but like but the majority of the country, shouldn't they be behind it? Inheritance tax is a very unpopular tax. Yeah. So they'll look at things like that and say, there's no appetite for- I'll give you an example, right? Brexit, yeah. probably last talking about Brexit. Initially, both the major political parties, well, all three major political parties were vociferously against Brexit. Mm -hmm. Basically, all the main political parties. But enough people in this country insisted that they would vote for whoever the fuck was supporting Brexit, that now both the Conservatives and Labour basically have to support Brexit, even though most of them probably don't want to, yeah. right? They have to. We need to make taxation of wealth like that. We need to make a situation where if the main political parties say we're not supporting it, then they fucking lose the election. 
Yeah. You know, that, that is what it needs to be. You know, that's what it needs to be, you know, and, and it needs that level of public support because these politicians funded by very, very fucking rich people in many cases are very rich people. They're not going to turn around and give this to us. It needs ordinary people to demand it, I think. And where do you stand by like the counter argument that would be that these people are the ones that drive the economy and they're highly mobile and if you tax them, they'll all just leave and you'll never get the money anyway? Great question. All right, number one, okay. I earned millions of pounds working in the city. I paid a lot of fucking tax. I paid 60%, you know what I mean? Because it was the 50% top rate at that time, plus national insurance. When I was earning that money to bring my fucking family out of the fucking slums, right? Duke of Westminster inherited 10 billion pounds. Hugh. Paid nothing. Yeah. Paid nothing. Yeah. All right. Who is the guy who's driving the economy here? You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, you can shit on fucking bankers all your life, you know? Raheem Sterling, fucking Jack Grealish, you know, Kevin the fucking Bruyne. These guys, they have, at least they fucking work for their money and they pay tax, Yeah. right? The very, very wealthy, they don't even fucking, all they do is own your fucking mum's mortgage. That's all they do. He owns Belgravia, doesn't he? Basically? Yeah, they own the fucking yeah, houses, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, these guys are not, they are not, they are not driving the economy, they're owning the economy, right? Mm. So, you know, what I'm saying is we tax ordinary working people less and we tax guys who just fucking sit on fucking millions of pounds of assets, your houses, your fucking supermarkets, your fucking mortgages, government fucking debt, paying nothing. You know, so I'm not saying tax the people who drive the economy. I'm saying tax the people who fucking own the economy and do nothing. And on the subject of mobility, they'll leave. You know, these guys are the least fucking economically mobile people in the fucking world, all right? You're a YouTuber, right? We tax yeah. YouTubers. You can fuck off to fucking Dubai and do yeah. your fucking YouTube, right? Yeah. These are the least mobile people in the world because they own your mortgage, they own your house. Their money comes from you. From, yeah, from, and from their money does not come from their work. Their money comes from you. If it doesn't come from their work, it comes from you, right? They need fucking you to leave. These are the easiest people in the fucking world to tax because they own fucking Tesco. You know what I mean? They own your house, they own your mortgage, right? So I think the, the main reason why we have this idea that they're, they're easy, they can leave when they want is because they keep fucking telling us that because they fucking want us to fucking believe that. Yeah. You know, I read fucking Charles Dickens fucking hard times the other day and he was talking about how whenever we say we're gonna tax the industrialists, they say they'll throw their factories into the sea. You know what I mean? They've been saying this for fucking hundreds, they want you to believe that. And while you're fucking paying 50%, you know what I mean? Once everything's in, they're paying fucking nothing. I'm fucking laughing. We have Paul Johnson on, who's the director of the IFS, and he he has a similar kind of like, he approaches it from a different angle, but he's like, we're going to need more tax revenue and there's places we can get it that are more effective. And he points to council tax as a, a regressive tax that could be a wealth tax mm. because there's a 50 million pound house in Kensington that gets taxed the same as my four bed detached in up north, you know? And he's like, yeah. that is a, they can't take the house. They can't plonk it in Dubai. If yeah. they want to shelter their money here through property, pay the tax. Yeah, I think so. I mean. You know, this, there are many obvious ways you can improve it. There are many obvious ways you can improve it. I, but I think the, the problem you have is people like myself come out and say, we need to tax the rich. And ordinary people, understandably, I think, are cynical and skeptical because they've seen so many instances of, we're gonna tax the rich. And the actual tax that gets delivered is a, carves out the rich entirely and taxes the middle class. This is it. This yeah. whole, I, what I hate, and I say this on my channel all the time, a person on 20 grand a year and a person on 120 grand a year have far more in common than yeah, someone yeah. with a billion a year, you know, but it seems like they pit the, that, that 20 to like, I think ultimately a big part of what I need to do and what I think ordinary men and women, families across the country need to do is get 
people on the 50th percentile, the middle, 70th percentile who might be on 80 grand, you know what I mean? 20th percentile might be on like 15, 20 grand. You need to get them to, to ally and realize the people who are taking all of our shit are the very rich. If that cannot happen, the rich will take everything. Yeah, people need to be able to identify who the true threat is. But, you know, who owns the fucking newspapers? Yeah. They're all owned by billionaires. Increasingly, the news channels are owned by billionaires. You know what I mean? And, you know, I go on, I go on TV, I go on the radio. Who do I come up against? I go up against somebody who works for IEA, Institute of Economic Affairs, funded by billionaires, paid for by billionaires. I'm going on there for free. You know what I mean? These guys are paying a lot of money to have ordinary people believe that the threat to their lifestyle is fucking guys coming on a boat from France. In the meantime, they're losing their houses, they're going into debt, they're losing their government services, and the rich taking everything. The problem is ordinary people are having it hidden from them who the real threat is. And, you know, you said that you, you live and die by your predictions. Yeah. Um, so how long do you think we're talking in terms of timelines before we, we start to see real shit? If, if things yeah. stay the same and no one does anything, and Nigeria or that kind of environment is yeah. like the worst case scenario, how long do you think we've got? I mean, the first thing to say is, because the country is increasingly unequal, I think there is very often a lack of visibility, including from people like me and people like yourselves, people who are not on like the very like thin end of it. I think there can be a lack of visibility about how much poverty has already increased. I think and so. how much poverty already yeah. exists. It is there. It I is don't growing. know how bad some people have it. Yeah, because no, they're protected it's, it's, as a middle class. And it's yeah. not, you know, I think for a long time during the austerity period, you had this kind of bottom 20% that was being really kicked. Uh, you know, but it was 20%. But, and I'm not saying that that is a good thing, you know, yeah. but it was 20%. But now we're talking about 40, 50, 60% of people struggling. People and, in high rate tax yeah. bonds as well. And, you know, I haven't spoken about it much on this. It's on my, I talk a lot on my channel about the, it's now 800 billion. It was 750 billion given out by the government that is now held by the rich. Massive amount, 16,000 pounds per adult. This enormous accumulation of cash by the rich during COVID. What are they going to do with that money? They're going to buy the houses. How did that get into their hands? So I'm an inequality economist, right? Yeah. From the beginning of COVID, it was obvious there was going to be a long lockdown and the government was going to have to give a fuck ton of money out. Okay. Yeah. The government's given that so far at the time of recording, it will go up 800 billion pound. That's total government deficit since the beginning of COVID. Deficit means they've given it out. You know, they borrowed it or they printed it. So somebody's got it now. I want to know who has that money. It's massive. 16 grand per adult. Massive. And I, was, I couldn't figure out who's got it, right? Because if you look, you think first, oh, it's the furloughed workers. But if furloughed workers, they're not sitting on six, you know, if it's just them, they have about like 80 grand each. It's definitely not them. And that's because they're not getting paid, but they're not getting paid, right? It's, it's substituting their wages. Okay, so who's got the wages? They've got 80% as well, so they actually got less yeah, than exactly. they would have been. They're definitely not, yeah, somebody's yeah. net winning here. If, yeah. if, if I come in and give out 800 billion quid, somebody's winning, yeah. all right? It's not the furloughed workers. The companies are not paying the wages, but they're shut down. Bounce back loans. Well, in many cases it is these, but the big winner in terms of accumulated cash was the people who would have been using the companies that employ the furloughed workers because they're not spending money anymore. Right. Uh, this is, and, but the thing is, it's not all customers, right? Because ordinary families, especially poor families, their expenses are mainly mortgage, rent, food bills. Still paying it, still paying it. The expenses that disappeared during COVID, luxury expenditure. Basically, that's what got made illegal, non-essential luxury expenditure. Well, who has the most luxury expenditure? It's the fucking rich. Really, economically, what COVID was, was like an economic experiment. What happens if we make the rich spending money illegal? And the fact is that pays a lot of people's wages. So the government printed it. Here's your wage. 
What do you do with it? You pay your rent, mortgage, bills. Who owns your mortgage? The rich. And they can't spend it. You know, they're gonna, the only way for them to get rid of it is to buy the assets of the middle class. I guess we, could, we saw that on like a, a ground level of, there was, there was two types of people in COVID. There was people that really struggled financially. And then there was like a lot of families actually set the savings rate went up quite yeah. a lot because of that. There was no, you know, everyone started buying, renovating their gardens and was yeah, throwing yeah. money at builders because yeah. they just had, they weren't going on holiday and that. So yeah. you're saying it's a, a magnification of that same yeah, but, trend. You know, I don't want to point too much to the middle class because no. imagine you might have spent three grand, four grand, you know, renovating your house or whatever. You know, how much money do you think fucking Beyonce spends on, on this luxury is what I mean. music? So you know what I mean? Same. How much yeah. money, you know, these guys, these guys, these guys spend millions of pounds a year. You know, like Rishi Sunak, his wealth is 700 million quid, right? So how much is he going to make? If he makes 3% on that, he's going to make 21 million quid a year. How much do you think this guy spends on luck? That's what you get to pay just for getting out of bed. Mm-hmm. How much luxury spending does, is he going to have? I talked to three million quid a year yeah. and he's going to accumulate that during COVID, right? Yeah. I talked about the council tax thing that I said the other day on my channel and someone in the comments was like, no one's going to pay 300 grand a year for council tax. So I was like, mate, I don't think you understand how much money some people have got. Yeah. If you've got a hundred million pound flat in central London that you've never been in, yeah. like how is, much cash do you this have? This is a big part of the problem in a sense. Ordinary people, for obvious reasons, they simply do not understand how rich the rich are. Yeah. And it's invisible. And then, you know, when I say, when I talk about tax the rich, when I was a kid, I thought rich was 60 grand a year. That's what I thought rich was when I was a kid. 60 grand a year for me was unbelievable amount of money. That's what I thought. And now I realize that there's people who have personal wells of 300, 400 million pounds. And the ordinary person's brain is just not wired to understand that amount. And they think they think rich is bankers, doctors, lawyers, which is what they want their kids to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's not, it's not listen, I'm not here to tax bankers, doctors, lawyers. I'm here to tax people who fucking own the fucking country. They own the assets, they own your mortgage, they own the houses, you know. Your point around, I think you make it really clear. And every time I watch your content, I come away from it thinking, this guy's not talking about taxing people who've just done well by buying a house in London. Mm -hmm. He's talking about the Uber rich. I read a stat that there's 15 trillion of wealth in the UK and 25% of that is owned by 1% of the population. So this is the the demographic that you, you're yeah. kind of looking at targeting. Yeah, I want people to sort of, I've got a video on my channel, one of the oldest videos called What is Wealth? Mm. And ordinary people, the only wealth which they generally see in their lives, housing. Bit of pension. Bit of pension, yeah. yeah. I encourage people like, walk down your high street, walk down your high street, look at the shops and, you know, who owns them? Who owns the fucking skyscrapers in Canary Wharf? Who owns a fucking supermarket? Who owns a shopping center? You know what I mean? Who owns the fucking restaurants, the pubs, you know, it's, a lot of it is ownership of commercial wealth. And the, these guys, what they look like is usually they are families that have been wealthy for a long time. It's they have their own sort of teams of accountants, which they call family offices, and they just own all of this stuff basically on paper. They own the stocks, they own the shares, they own a, a ton of debt so that they own your mortgage, they own the government debts. So when you pay your taxes, the, the interest goes to them. Um, and the, the work is meaningless to them because they will make from their assets, you know, and I want people to understand this, these are your cash flows. So when you go to Tesco's, you know, some guy owns Tesco's, a big chunk of what you pay is just going his profits, you know what I mean? But when you pay your mortgage- When you say that, you mean the building that it's in? Like the, the building that it's in, yeah. Yeah, yeah the building, yeah. The literal building yeah. of land in many cases, yeah. but in, in every, every single shop, you know, the office that you work in, you know, ordinary people don't own these things. And they are owned by a small number of extremely wealthy families. You, Generally, you don't see them, you don't hear of them, you know, 
their kids go to Eton. You know, if you're lucky enough to go to Cambridge or Oxford, you might bump into a few of them here or there throwing pounds off a roof or something. <laughs> very, right, very, you're looking for yeah, <laughs> very, very wealthy families with private offices that own huge amounts of assets, including your mortgages, including large estates of stocks and shares, bonds, you know, your mortgages, your properties, the companies that you shop in, they will make tens of millions of pounds a year in the most extreme cases of, of your, and they will use that money to buy the rest of the assets. I do think that, you know, going to Durham University, that was the first time I realised what wealth was when yeah. I saw it. And, and I don't think many people realise just how much money some people have yeah. because they have no interest in telling you how much money they've got. They don't come yeah, out and go, oh, by the way, yeah. I made a billion quid last year without even leaving my house. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And I think, you know, in a way you're privileged to be able to go to a place like Durham and, yeah. you know, I'm the same. Like, LSE is full of this, like, these really, really wealthy class because yeah. you, you you actually start to see, I, I had no idea. I had no idea these people same. existed. But there was also economic incentives are important, right? You need you need to tell people if they work hard, they get to keep what they work and, and yeah, things like that. Yeah, you know, I, that is what I want. That is what I fucking want. Because, you know, I've got mates who grew up in Ilford with me that work fucking hard and they're on like 70, 80 grand. You know what I mean? You know, that's like double, more than double national average salary sleeping on their parents' sofas, saving every fucking penny because they can't afford a fucking flat. Yeah. So we, we live in an economy. Is this an economy that is rewarding hard work? It really isn't. No. To the, to the and who's shift. buying those flats? Yeah. Kids that went to Durham with you and Oxford with me that don't even fucking work. Mm. I want an economy that rewards fucking hard fucking work. I want people who work and who study and who do good work and to, to be able to live good lives and we are not providing that. So, you know, if you ask me who is the real fucking capitalist in this room, I think it's fucking me. I am the one who wants hardworking people to be able to have good lives. But the economy that we are providing gives everything to a bunch of kids who never fucking work. It's like the American dream, isn't it? Of like, if you work hard, you'll get somewhere in life. And actually that's not, that's what, not real. That's what they told us in school. Go, study hard, get good grades, get yeah. a good job, you'll be rich. Yeah, and, I don't and it's wanna, like, that's I, not really, yeah, I, it's, listen, it's not as easy as it sounds. I don't want to discourage nobody, right? Listen, the kids out there work fucking hard, right? But, have an understanding of the, and I, the flip side of that, which is super important. It's really, really important. I think this is I want people to understand that the economy we live in now does not in general reward people who work fucking hard and it's not fair. And, and because I've got friends that work fucking hard and they don't understand why they can't buy a house. And I've got other friends that get half a million quid from their mum and buy the fucking house. And the kids who are working hard, they don't know that that kid got half a million quid from yeah. his mum. And they think that they personally are failures. Yeah. And it's terrible, terrible for the mental health of young people. So I think it's super important that young people understand, understand that we live in an unfair economy. And if you are not doing well financially and you're working hard, it's probably not your fault. And don't, don't be hard on yourself, man. Like, cause I see it. I see people like, why, why, you know, you say the like same. I was like that for a long yeah, time. You, you why, the same. why are they on the property ladder before me? And then you dig into it and they've, they've got a load of money off. Of yeah. And I think like, money. we need to sort of train people to understand that if you were born behind and you're behind now, that's not your fault. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean you're an idiot. It doesn't mean you're not working hard because I see the damage it's doing to young There's people. There's something even more beautiful about someone who goes from nothing to something like buys their own home you know i've got yeah. friends of mine that come from poor families that are working fucking hard and they've got kids and all they want to do is support their kids and they, they think they're not doing enough and i want those people to be proud of themselves if we let's say at the end of this you feel charged up and you're like yeah i want to let it be known that i want to tax the rich 
Where'd you go? There's no. There's, there's Gary's no. Economics YouTube <laughs> channel. Uh, could, 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 could you say like? I mean, there are organisations that I support. Mm. Um, Tax Justice UK. The truth is, I, I'm, there's disappointingly little out there um, in terms of organisations. Tax Justice UK is the most obvious one. Um, you can support them. There's not enough. I'm trying to build it. You know. Um, you know, I don't want to be all like follow my YouTube, buy my book. But the truth is, I'm fucking trying to build this. You know, that's the reason I do what I do. Like. You know, I bounce around what is called the third sector, charity sector. Um, and there's lots of people campaigning for lots of things. It is very, very difficult to fund an organization saying tax the rich because the biggest funders are the fucking rich, all right? So I do what I do fucking free because I don't want society to collapse. You know what I mean? Um, and that, that's the reason why there's not much else. I'm a, I'm a multimillionaire, okay? I can afford to do this for free, okay? There are not many people who can simultaneously afford to do this and are willing to do it. My job was to look at the economy and understand what's happening. And I was a judge to be one of the best people in the world at that. My assessment is from here, it gets worse and worse and worse quickly. I've been to the fucking top of the mountain and what I saw was a fucking tsunami coming. And you know who's in front of that tsunami? My fucking family, my fucking friends, the kids I grew up with. That is, that is who is there. So I'm fucking down now and I'm saying that's fucking coming. Are we going to fucking avoid it or not? And you know, I don't know whether I'm going to achieve that. Don't think that just because this is England, it can't happen here because it can happen here, you know, and I don't want it to happen. And, you know, look, I've made money and I'm comfortable, you know, I can afford to do what I do. I'm not saying that I'm like some sort of holier than our guy. I do not want that to happen here. And I want to, and, and I'm not just saying that this is going to happen, right? I was, I made millions of pounds betting on this and I still bet on it today. You know, in my heart of hearts, I'm a fucking trader. And I look at what's happening, cold eyes, dead eyes, and I tell you what's going to happen. That is what is going to happen in this country. And I don't want it to happen. So I'm trying to stop it, you know, and that's, that's why I do what I do. It's as simple as that in my eyes, you know. So you made a point now where you said, you know, I'm still making that bet. And you, mm. you clearly raised before how you were conflicted that you were from a background and what you were essentially doing was betting that that background was going to go into the floor. Yeah. How do you still make that bet then? So I, I'm, I'm a trader. I was a full-time trader from 2008 to 2014. Um, and I'm good at it. I was very good at it. And trading is how I came to understand the economy. And it's also how I test my understanding of the economy, right? So, you know, we talk about this story in the book a lot about my journey in trading, right? And um, it was like early 2011 that I kind of finally like got this idea like, all right, inequality, that's it. Inequality is the big thing. The economy's fucked. It's going to go downhill. Bam, bam, bam. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Like, and I was 24 then and I was like, confident enough, bam, I, I believe this. Big trade, big position. We're going to put the fucking career on this. And it paid off big time. And that was my job, you know what I mean? And um, when you first have the idea, you're confident, you back it, but you don't know. And then you're right, bam, ton of money. Well fucking done, mate. Go again. Okay, what do you think is going to happen? Well, it's the same fucking problem. Bam, on again. Big fucking disaster, collapse. Bam. Then it happens again. And like, it's your job. You know what I mean? Like, if your job is like, you know, if you're a fucking hairdresser, you don't think like, what does this mean? You know what I mean? If, if you, you know, you just fucking cut hair. If you're a fucking taxi driver, you fucking drive taxis. You're a maths teacher. You teach maths. Like, that was my job. But then like, these, these things start to come in. Like, you know, yeah, but, maybe you should fucking do something about that. But then it's like, well, you know, what the fuck do you do? How do you fucking stop it? You know what I mean? 
you know, these are these big conflicts I had and I decided like, okay, we're going to go away. We're going to try and fix it. And I did stop trading for a while. For a while I stopped trading and, you know, people who read the book will fucking see. I had the fucking, I had the fucking trip in trading. Like we had some time, like leaving with, there were some problems. <laughs> involved yeah, yeah, the leaving, some crazy stories. Which are pretty book. clear in the book. Um, and I took a little bit of time out and I went traveling and that, and I did my bits. I made my website, eventually went back to uni. And then I was sitting at uni one day and I pulled up my, um, there's some fucking boring fucking econometrics bullshit lecture. I pulled up my phone and um, I saw again, again, the market's predicting big fucking recovery. This is like late 2017. And I was like, these fucking idiots. There's not gonna be no fucking recovery, it's fucked. And I was like, fuck it. If they wanna pay me that bad, we're back in. And then, you know, that, that paid off, right? Um, and then I, COVID happened, right? And that was when I, when I first started writing articles was the beginning of COVID. And again, I could see like, from the beginning of COVID, I could see inequality would blow up. And I was like, this is gonna be the unmitigated economic disaster of my lifetime. And um, those predictions were fucking right. Anybody can come out and tell you the fucking world's ending. You know what I mean? The fucking Jehovah's Witnesses have been doing it for years. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not everybody can come in, drop their money on the fucking table and clear up. And I do that fucking year after year after year after year. And that is why people fucking listen to me. Listen, I, I'm, people look at me, right? Listen, everybody is clear. I don't come from a, like a wealthy background, right? Every, everywhere I go, I see comments. Who's this guy? He's not a fucking economist, all right? I'm the fucking guy who's fucking right. And that's what I've got. Yeah. Do you think there'll be cynics that will be like, you made your money out of the system, now you're trying to build a platform by saying that system's wrong? If I wanted to get famous, I could have got famous a long fucking time ago, you know, and I tried to do a lot of things to stop this, you know. Listen, sometimes it's nice, you know, I get recognised, some people buy my beers in the pub, okay, it's nice, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to not be able to fucking go with my girlfriend to the park without people, you know. Yeah. Listen, I, I love it when people come up and talk to me and I appreciate everybody's super supportive, you know what I mean? If I wanted to be famous, I would be a lot more fucking famous than I am. You know what I mean? You know, we're writing this book now that's gonna give me a lot of publicity. I can make a lot more money writing more books, but what am I doing in my spare time building that fucking YouTube? I've made zero from YouTube, nothing. Every single penny that's come from that YouTube has gone on production. Yeah. It runs at a loss for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. There's, if I wanted to be famous, if I wanted to be rich, I've had opportunities to be more famous than I am, opportunities to be more rich than I am. But you know, I've done, what I'm doing is trying to build a political platform to stop this. And you know, some people will be skeptical and there's always haters, but. No. You ever thought, <laughs> have you ever thought about being, becoming a politician? If I join the Labour Party, I have to say what the Labour Party fucking tells me to say. Yeah. If I have fucking a million views a week on a YouTube, you know what I mean? Or maybe more, you know what I mean? then the Labour Party has to say, well, I have to fucking tell him to yeah, say. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't trust these guys. You know, yeah. I don't fucking trust these guys. I'm not saying, you know, I don't trust the Conservatives anymore. You know what I mean? But I don't trust these politicians, right? I will talk to the politicians when they fucking have to listen to me. And if this YouTube is fucking massive, then they fucking have to listen to me. That's yeah. my plan. They're, they're all, they're all self-serving in their, their ambition and intention, um, which is an interesting point around the whole economy though. Isn't, isn't an economy just a load of decisions, right? Mm. And everyone is just acting in their own best interests in this that moment. Philosophical. We're going to yeah. get philosophical yeah. on this one. We're going to get philosophical. I mean. Because everyone's, you know, there's, there's always like, it's them. It's so their I, fault. So, all right. I was a successful trader, right? Yeah. I run a YouTube channel now. We talk about trading like a little bit. It's not a trading channel. We mainly talk about this fucking economic disaster and trying to stop it. It's a political channel, essentially. It's an economics and political channel, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And it's, it's a passion project. It's something I believe in. The number one question I get asked on that channel, 
told me how to make money. <laughs> That's and so funny. It's funny. It's it's funny, and at the same time, it's a bit fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. Have you ever heard this story? Like, there's two guys in the forest, all right? And they see a bear. One of them bends down and starts tying up a shoelace. Another one says to him, "Why are you tying? Your sh- You're not going to outrun a fucking bear." Yeah. And really- another guy goes, "I don't need to outrun a bear, mate. I just need to outrun you." Yeah, yeah. When I hit, when I get these messages, I'm reminded of that story. But there's like twenty fucking bears. You know this. If the economy collapses, you ain't gonna fucking trade your way out of it. I feel like I've come down from the lookout of a ship and I've said, guys, the way we're going, we're gonna hit an iceberg, ship's going down. And everyone's like, sorry, mate, I'm trading on IG index. Like, listen, if society fucking collapses, your fucking investments are not gonna do shit for you. You know what I mean? I don't, you know, I know that's not a positive message to say, but that is the truth. You know, that is the truth. So. I think you raise an interesting point about like everybody doing what's best for themselves, right? You know, the truth is power exists, okay? And rich, powerful people, not because they're evil, but because they always have done, try and get richer and try and get more powerful. It's not, it's not, they're not terrible people. This is what people fucking do. Yeah, okay? nature. Right? And they can because they're rich and they're powerful, all right? And right now, the easiest thing for them to do is to take your fucking assets and their kids will own the assets that you own now instead of your kids, right? That is clearly the direction of, of wealth inequality, right? Wealth is going in that direction. And yet everybody is thinking, how do I make money for me, okay? The only power that ordinary people have who are not super rich, right, is that there's a fucking lot of them, all right? If they do not use that power, then what they have will be taken by the powerful. You know, when, when I first started doing what I was doing, I felt like, my, my job was to teach people about economics and I still do do that. But I almost feel like there's become this spiritual element to the job where I need to give it to ordinary people to care about one another. And in a way, I think that is the, the only way for them to be selfish. If they don't care about one another, they will, they will, they will see the damage themselves. Yeah, it's beautiful that in a way, because like you, it's like everyone knows money won't make them happy, but they want to find that out for themselves. You know, like this whole- That's another, it's a big part of my, you know, yeah. you can read the book and you have, yeah, you know, you see, it's, it's an hungry. irony, it's an irony. And I'm, I say that well, when I was a kid, all I fucking wanted was to make money. That's yeah. all I fucking wanted. So I don't turn around to people like, I'm not saying to anyone, you're a bad person trying to make money. I fucking understand it. I understand it. But unfortunately, we are moving into a difficult world now where you need, because I'm not, you know, I know people are struggling to take care of their kids. And I'm not going to say, fuck, fuck that, support my YouTube channel. The fact is, ordinary and poor people, if they want to survive here and they want to thrive in the long run, they have to do both. They have to be able to take care of themselves and their family and participate in, in some form in protecting their political interests. They have to do both. Unfortunately, you are being attacked on two sides here. You are being attacked as an individual and you're being attacked as a class. And you need to win both of those battles to protect yourselves. Is there anything positive on the horizon that we can look forward to? Listen, like what, anything that you Gary's think- Gary's books out yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, so Is there anything that you think that, that might, might unite people? Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I'll, I'll do what I can, but listen, we have seen enormous increases in inequality here. And what that has meant is, you know, the increases in living standards, which could have been shared by things like, you know, the massive industrialization of Asia or the invention of the internet, you know what I mean? These could have been shared throughout society. Those improvements have been basically monopolized by the rich. So in a sense, what that means is there's this huge potential improvement in living standards, which has been withheld from the people because the rich have kept it. 
So I think if we are able to, and also what I'm saying is, the problem is understandable. I think sometimes what is happening with the economy is treated in the media as if it's like a fucking natural disaster, like a fucking earthquake or like, there's nothing we can do. It's out of our control. Oh my God. No one could I have seen it coming. Jeremy yeah. Hunt described it as like black, as black swans. Yeah, black like, swans. Random Unprecedented things happening, black right? swans. Yeah, yeah, but like, there is a problem which we can understand. Inequality is exploding. That means that the rich are living lives are unbelievable luxury at the cost of ordinary people. We can fix that. The wealth is there, the productive capacity is there. COVID didn't destroy the productive capacity of the economy. You know, nobody came and knocked your house down. What it did do was massively increase inequality. That's reversible. So what I'm coming in and saying is, we do not have to accept these fools in living standards. We can have better lives. We can, we can be richer, but only if we're willing to grasp this, this guy, this problem. So, so if I want to give a positive message, things can be better and things will be better if we unite and protect ourselves as the mass of the people who are losing out to the rich. You know, things can be better, but only if we are able to unite. Yeah. I think, you know, anyone who is sensible could agree with those, those points. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, is, are you a good human being? Do you know what I mean? You're a legend, mate, honestly. This is why I Thank wanted you. you on because I think you're a really important voice within the space. And I can be guilty myself, I think, of sometimes going like, you know, just work harder, just do this, mm. buy your index fund. And even myself, it's like, there's a cap on my ability to break out of where I started from, yeah. you know, and like I, I would, I, I would put that pressure on myself and be like, I'm a failure because I'm not where I should, you know, where this guy at Durham is or wherever. Yeah. I would like people to just listen, work, work hard, save your money. And you've got all these videos explaining to people what you do, but look, it's understand the unfairness that exists in our society and understand that it's a difficult time and it's going to get more difficult and understand that when you, when you look at others and understand that when you, when you look at yourself, um, it's hard. It's going to be hard. And we're going to need to help each other to get through this. Quick question from me and the Making Money team. Would you like us to come into your workplace to teach you and your colleagues more about personal finance? It's an absolute joke that we're not taught what to do with money. And this knowledge gap makes most people much poorer over their lifetimes. Take your work-based pension. Most people have no idea what the fund they're invested in does. And plenty of people just opt out altogether. We can cover whatever is most important, from the basics to complex financial retirement planning supported by qualified financial advisors who are not there to sell you anything. We take different approaches for different people in a company depending on stuff like their age or their income. If you think people you work with could benefit from financial education, then please email will at getmost.co.uk. It doesn't matter what your role is in the business, we want to hear from you. So email will at getmost.co.uk and I've left a link in the description for you. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Well, that's it for season two. We'll be back with our full-length episodes in a couple of weeks' time. But stay locked in, because in the meantime, we're answering all your biggest money questions in our Ask Us Anything episodes. 
If you want a bullet point summary of this episode, you can sign up to our newsletter using the link in the description. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. It really makes a difference and lets us know that we're doing a good job. I'm Damo. I'm T. This episode was recorded by Jack Hobbs. Music is by Felix Taylor. It was produced and edited by Ruth Edwards. Johnny Hunter is in charge of marketing. And it's all brought together by Will Stolomon. 